0: Salams, y'all. Welcome to Zina's Bukala, a duty to memory and possibility. This podcast is an opportunity to speak ourselves and our futures into existence. It's for the stories that you'd never hear about in school, for the words that inspire and guide us, both in our liberatory work and healing. And it's most definitely a nod to our ancestors. I love that this bee behind us just dropped, right, as I'm about to say. Hey, girl, how you doing? I'm
1: good, girl. How are you?
0: (laughs) Good. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Me
1: too. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes, yes. Y'all, I want to introduce you to Nadia Tanus, a community organizer, a writer, and a researcher. She focuses on refugee rights, inner community empowerment, and returning land to the people, and people returning to the land. I just, I love that, I gotta say. She's a creative partner of Donkey Saddle Projects. She also holds down the community spotlight feature of the Arab Amp Folk Tales, second season, y'all check them out. And as of late, you are also co-incubating a new project through We Rise called Rising for Our Motherlands. You've published multiple writings in multiple publications, catch them in the promo below, and you're a founding member of the Hassan Kanaf funny resistant arts scholarship, a project of the Palestinian youth movement. Hey, 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 hey. busy bumblebee.
1: <laughs> it's a life. We got to live it. <laughs>
0: it's a life. We got to live it. How you doing today?
1: I'm great. I'm really, I've been juiced for this session. Like it's got me through the day. Mm. Um, work has been really crazy. And I feel like it's this time of just everything is in springtime like it's all happening at once everything that was in the ground is just coming out and same with all the energy around us it's the go 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 time and so just trying to spend time to be really intentional and that's what I hope I'm bringing today because that's what I've been looking forward to is talking to you and talking through some of this stuff and I'm I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to be in this space because it's giving me throwback memories truthfully from from different places I've been in, in the same neighborhood. Yes, I love that, Mm -hmm. I love that. And speaking of intention, you know,
0: you came over here with some cookies, you came over here with some tea, (laughs) and I know that, you know, the reason I wanted to start with just how are you doing is, I know this is busy time, springtime, flourishing life, and also a difficult time. May 15th marked the 75 years since the start of NECPA, AKA, the catastrophe for Palestinian people and i would love for you to give you know folks who may not know what nekba is a little a little breakdown what comes up for you during this time of year what does it look like to care for yourself what does it look like for community to take care of itself when you know that this it's the 75th time that palestinians both on the motherlands and in the diaspora are marking um this day
1: yeah thank you for starting this way just like grounding us in it because I am a child, I'm a grandchild specifically of Nekaba survivors. My grandmother and my grandfather survived the Nekaba In May 1948, they were kicked out of their homes by three Zionist militias, the Stern Gang, also known as the Lehi, the Haganah, and the Irgun. And they approached Jaffa on three different sides and basically with the intention of pushing all of our people um, into the sea, which is why so many Palestinians in Gaza are from Yaffa, um, and so many folks in southern Lebanon are also from Yaffa. My grandparents are like two of 60,000 who ended up sneaking through the seam between the Lehi and the Haganah um, and ended up walking all the way to Jordan and they became the first, the first refugee camp in Jordan that was established was called Wahdat, the first, and they were some of the first residents of the first refugee camp in Jordan. I tell that story to start with the question of like, what is Nakba, what is catastrophe? Because, you know, part of the power of Ghassan Kanafani, right, the writer Ghassan Kanafani, who was martyred at the, in his mid thirties, after writing over 40 seminal texts, he was killed in a car bomb Mm. by the Israelis in Lebanon he did this work, like part of his life's work was literally taking our individual stories of survival, of the survival of catastrophe, knowing that Nakba is an ongoing event and weaving them into a platform where we could have a collective understanding as a shab, as a people, to advocate for our right to return home, Mm. to talk about collectively the political and cultural into like personal and and broader like fragmentation what happened to us Mm. and to be able to fight for something beyond that because something we learned too from like sorry i'm jumping to this but i was just thinking about like nakba 75 a lot of people wanted to hear stories from nakba survivors Mm. and we had a hard time finding folks because the nakba generation who i was raised by are dying or they're gone so what does it mean for us as a people to have that generation of folks who literally lived, you know, before the Zionist occupation, you know, before the state of Israel was Mm -hmm. born, right, to have those folks, our elders leave us in this Mm. moment, you know, if we don't have our Ish together as um, this next generation, it could leave us in in utter crisis. But in that same way, just to talk about the truth and reconciliation, you know, process like we've seen from other countries, you know, El Salvador, South Africa, Rwanda, right? Just talking about your story, just talking about the massacres, just talking about the violations, talking about the murders, talking about the disappearances, talking about the attack on life and dignity right in every possible way isn't justice you know being able to speak that truth to power is important and being able to speak that truth so that we can carry it like I know my Nakba story Mm -hmm. I know what my grandparents went through some of that stuff they took to their grave you know but I know that I know what they went through and I know what they sacrificed and so I think in that sense it's justice for us but we were kind of position in a funny way for nekpa 75 like what does it mean to talk about an entire nation being built on the rubble of your people
0: yeah
1: right what does it mean to talk about the state of israel being built on the premise of your erasure Mm -hmm. and the global north for the most part is totally okay with that because it's not the first time it's happened Mm -hmm. we're here in turtle island we know enough Mm -hmm. right yeah but what does it mean to be moved to the end of the balance sheet where in the triage of trying to create the modern world, you just happen to get left behind and torn up and killed for it. You know, we were the sacrifice we never agreed to. Hmm. And so what does it mean to also fight to say, no, the past is not the past, the past is living. Right. And then the living purpose, even as we're losing the literal generation who require return right? We are fighting for everybody, all the generations who are still here, who are still demanding, who still have not forgotten from the refugee camps to inside of 48, right? Inside of Palestine, historic Palestine, inside of the West Bank and Gaza and in the far diaspora where we are now, Mm -hmm. right? We're all fighting for that because without Palestine, who are we as a Mm -hmm. people? Palestine birthed us. It made us who we are. It makes us who we are. It's the thread that binds us together, mm. and so um, you know that's yeah. the shadow of it.
0: Yeah, and you know you're making me think of. I was just listening to a an Al Jazeera podcast featuring a journalist from Gaza, and she spoke of this new iteration of Nakba. Because there's a nekba for, like you're speaking, you know, your elders and those who were forced out 75 years ago. And she's also speaking about what, lo- what it looks like right now, right? The blockade, the raids, the attacks, the checkpoints, the constant electricity outages, like a world that, a world that some of us cannot even imagine.
1: Does that resonate with you? Hell yeah. Yeah, the nekba never ended. Mm-hmm. Because the work of Zionism isn't done. The good news is that we're here in full force, full force, full force. The Mm. bad news is that so many of us have paid and are paying the ultimate price to struggle and to resist and to be here. And that can be everything from death, you know, incarceration, terror, to be terrorized in your home with the purpose of kicking you out generationally tortured, right? Mm -hmm. To be fragmented. You know, yeah, absolutely. The dispossession, the infrastructure of occupation, the wall, the checkpoints, the incarceration, Mm -hmm. you know, the literal pulling of food, you know, away from, you know, like in in Gaza, right? There's literally the Israeli military literally has folks on a calorie count, dang, right? How much the Israeli army asked about 10 years ago now. How much does an adult male need to eat in order to survive? What is mm. the ultimate calorie count? And what is that for children? Mm. And that's exactly how much food they let in and out of the Gaza Strip.
0: They're like, let us not say that we killed them because we fed them just enough. And we did it slow, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so it's like it's genocide mm-hmm. in modern day, right? Um, but what that means is you know there also is this silence and this lack of political will from the international community Mm
0: -hmm. to do
1: anything about it because our lives are cheap and if we didn't know that from 75 years of suffering we should have learned that from the u.s invasion of iraq and afghanistan Mm -hmm. right if you're muslim brown Mm -hmm. muslim adjacent arab maybe not arab you know all the same yeah we don't care about you, and that's been an attitude that's been fomented, you know, as a as a tool for U.S. imperialism for many generations. So it impacts our our material conditions, it impacts our realities. But in some ways, I also, and it impacted my life growing up here, mm. you know, straight up living here, being born here during war on terror, definitely politicized me and is a huge part of shaping who I am. Absolutely, and understanding what capitulating or becoming American. You know, or but or, or or participating in Americanness, what that what that really means, mm-hmm. which is the same frame I come at with settler colonialism sometimes, mm-hmm. right? What does it mean to say, oh, America is a mixed pot, right? right? We're all just coming from different places and we're here to just become one conglomerate. It's right. so like who who are the victims of that narrative? Mm-hmm. We certainly are, mm-hmm. but there are lots of other people who mm-hmm. that's been built to uh, dispossess further. So. Yeah, I do resonate with that. The catastrophe continues and it will continue until we have exactly what we're demanding, right. which is return of all Palestinians and the liberation of our homeland mm-hmm. from the river to the sea. Yeah. And we're not the only people or the first people to fight a battle that's already lost. Right. You know, and we can talk about that later if we, you know, and when we breach the topic of land back, like what does it mean to fight a battle that's already lost? Well, what it tells you is you know, it's never lost. It's never over till it's over. Mm-hmm. It's never over till it's over. <laughs> smoking that cigar, victory.
0: <laughs> what piece of the story is missing about Palestinian beauty? I think there's a lot to be said about. Palestinian resistance and resilience and fight and struggle and you know recently a sister brought up like who are we outside of our struggle who are we outside of who we've been made to become because of this world that we live in and so and this can connect so deeply to to who you are (laughs)
1: <laughs> it could make me cry. Ooh,
0: who you are as a as a Palestinian
1: American, right? But like, yeah. When you say beauty, I am I do think of our mothers and our grandmothers. And as individuals, they're far from perfect, right? Mm. That's not what we're asking of them. You know, we wouldn't have survived Nekba without the mothers and the aunties and the sisters. None of us would have survived that. You know, when people resist and they struggle for dignity and for a better society and a better future and present for themselves and their people it is often their mothers or their maternal figures who taught them those values yeah who taught them what it means to be a revolutionary and i think that is in daily life you know those are the things and that's the that's the also the difficulty that we have, right? Sometimes that unspoken work of raising a generation goes unnoticed. And so, you know, the beauty, my God, you know, it's like sitting around and being able to share food and having that communal and and deeply intricately woven society, which is part of why we've been so successful against the onslaught of colonialism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the individualism that will kill us right it will kill our struggle um it's a israeli military tactic to right. break us apart you know that's how true that is but the other piece is the culture of hospitality you know we have right <laughs> we have... who else comes to the interview
0: with the cookies and the tea the Arabs. let it be known all the people who don't like arab people just remember who brought you the tea Satan. and the cookies
1: <laughs> uh... If if you're eating and I you know I'm I'm happy it makes me happy it's it's that culture of hospitality I mean you know it's I was raised very much in a in in that you know those those codes or those modes of mm-hmm. you know if you are who you say you are you have to live into the commitments right of of being a person on this earth right you have to literally commit right and and those are the backbone of that are your principles, your morals, your family, your people, right? It's it's the commitment to each other. I mean, m- my grandparents were courageous people. My my parents are both courageous people. I was just taught, you know, when 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 you're fighting for yourself and when you see something, you know, on the same time that's wrong for somebody else, you're not who you say you are mm. unless you try and fight for the same, you gotta fight for the same type of thing that you want for you. Right? right? If you let injustice happen before you, what does that say about your principles? We raised you better. Mm. Right? Being Palestinian means that you fight for your people, but you also fight on the front lines of other people's struggles. Mm. There are Palestinians buried throughout this world who fought on the front line of other people's struggles, and they fought because they felt that they were part of that. It's part of our necessity It's part of our wajib. It's part of our purpose and our necessity of being who we are. Mm. And that's in its best form. It doesn't mean that we always live up to that. It doesn't mean that we always do it in the right way. But it's what we're aiming for. It's what we were taught. Mm. It's what I was taught by my older generation. Mm. There was um, a Palestinian elder. I don't remember his name who was on a community podcast. And he was talking about, they're asking him, why did you, why are you fighting against the wall? Why are you fighting alongside the Autumn community? And he's an Ammo. He's like in his late 70s. And he is like, that's what I was taught. You know, my parents taught me that when you end up somewhere, you know, you fight with the people next to you. You know, and you fight for the thing that's right. Mm-hmm. And where there's injustice, you move against it, right? Some people say don't get like wrapped up in other people's war. I come from a people who have been buried across this planet mm-hmm. fighting for other people. And I'm proud of that. You know, so at least when we're waiting to go home, we didn't put other people's rights and their needs and their dignity on hold.
0: Mm. You
1: know, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We have those good examples. Mm. And I am proud of that. As you should be. And and like you're saying, it's not a
0: given. It's not a given that people will live up to that. I mean, I, I see you doing it. And there's like two different there's two different directions. I can take this question one. You have intersections of identity, right? Both personally and politically. Your family arrived, as you told us, in the US, they arrived as refugees, which makes you a child of the diaspora, which makes you a product of the diaspora. You were also born in a place that is fiercely proud of its identity, of its culture, and that is fighting for space and the right to stay, right? And it's fighting the same neo-colonialist capitalist forces and I think that as I was thinking about you and getting ready for this because I see you as somebody who really shows up for other people and I want us to talk about that in a little bit, what you've done in your organizing. But it just was so crystal clear. It like the, the right of Palestinians on their homelands to stay, the right of Palestinians in the diaspora to come home is so, it feels like a reflection of the right of Bay Area folks born and raised to stay here and 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 so where is the question the question is how has it been for you to navigate different parts of your identity different parts of your reality of your history just yeah in general
1: yeah yeah this i mean gentrification is just another layer of colonialism straight up snaps it (laughs) you know it, it rhymes right it rhymes with dispossession all over the world yeah you know and in the case of of being here in the bay i mean it is deeply tied to race and class right if you didn't have the means to stay if you weren't able to stay by luck maybe someone in your family was able to procure a piece of property or you know you were able to figure out a situation with somebody you know you know, it's it's swept out from under your feet. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, Henny. Yeah, it's hard to answer because yeah. for me, I'm really proud of being from the Bay. I'm born and raised here. Mm-hmm. And I come from a slew of this generation. I've, you know, 21 first cousins. Right. And we're all <laughs> born and raised here in the Bay. I feel really proud of that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like, I'll always be like, uh, <clears throat> I'm not American. No. <laughs> right like the hyphen right i'm like i am palestinian palestinian right i am just a palestinian mm-hmm. i am a palestinian who's just as palestinian as a palestinian in gaza as a palestinian in lid as a palestinian in lebanon as a palestinian we have fiercely different lived uh, experiences and realities right. but in oslo right there was this attempted fragmentation to say okay Here we go. We got 13 million Palestinians, right, at this point, if we're using these numbers, right? And uh, that's a lot. So how do we cut that down? Well, you know, the Palestinians who live in the U.S., y'all are American. You know, the Palestinians who live in Canada, y'all are Canadian, right? The Palestinians in Chile, y'all are Chilean. Mm. The Palestinians inside of 48, inside of Israel, you're an internal problem, right? And the Palestinians in the camps, well, we can't help you out. You know, you're all just refugees. And I guess we'll just take responsibility for the ones in uh, West Bank and Gaza. Right. It was like this ploy to fragment us. We're already Mm. fragmented geographically. Why don't you fragment us from ourselves? Right. Right. But in the same way, you know, if I'm being truthful to myself and who I am and I can say, you know, I can embrace all of myself. Well, I'm also from the Bay. And the Bay is in the so-called United States and the Bay raised me, you know? And so in that part, you know, I believe the Global South is, is all up and down this place, mm. right? We can live in the core of empire, fight for self-determination too, and we should. And so when I see the Global South, I think about the Global South conceptually, like it's here too. It's us too, Yeah. you know, we're part of it. It just looks markedly different than maybe Either our siblings or our friends or our comrades or people we don't know in, mm-hmm. in other places. But in the brunt of empire, you know, in the middle of empire, who pays the price? We do. Just as the people outside, right? Colonialism, imperialism, I'm sorry, outside, right? Has a has a twin and it's the imperialism inside, mm. you know? Yeah. I guess that's a long, a long <laughs> way, a long way of... of of saying that I definitely see, you know, early on when we would do different protests in the Bay around um, Palestinian return, you know, we we paired really deep, you know, closely and, and worked deeply with our communities here, you know, because we're part and parcel of them and, and talked a lot about the need for black and brown unity. Mm-hmm. The attempted fragmentation from the people up on high who benefit when we infight right when we scrap for the same resources we talked a lot about you know housing the right to housing the right to stay Mm -hmm. like you said my father arrived in San Francisco in um, 1973 and I mean they were part of a generation of people along with many people from all over the world who you know really created culture on the walls right of the city music in the streets food you know Mm -hmm. a real like Small town vibe where people could come and anytime on a sunny day, like there are three, four spots where everyone's kicking it, you know, being able to really show up and be together,
0: yeah. right?
1: Have that have that experience, um, make that experience, you know. And again, it's not perfect, it's not all rose colored glasses, but it's something real. Mm-hmm. And so when people came to San Francisco as part of the dot com boom, the first and the second, which we've seen the, the most maybe collateral from in, in my generation. You know, I understand why they wanted to experience it, because it's dope, yeah. right? But in that process, like everything else, it's that capitalist extraction, you know, to the point where, like, you're just here to experience the murals, you're just here to eat the dope food, you're just here to listen to the dope music, right? Put hyphy on a name tag, like, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And then the people who literally built that, mm-hmm. you know, from, from very little, And yet so much cultural capital, so much, you know, bravery and courage and being able to do something different, independence, right? Like all of that comes from the Bay. Yeah. And we're not able to experience that and to live, you know, the fruits of that labor. Mm -hmm. And that's unfair. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, the prisons have expanded in California. There used to be one women's prison in California not that long ago. Now we have Hella. You know, when you drive on the Bay Bridge every day, you see it. Right there, right in front of your face. You know, we see juvenile detention rising, right? So where are people going? It's not just that they're being pushed out of the bay. It's that they're also getting, you know, detained, right? They're getting incarcerated. They're getting, you know, burdened under the chains of economic capitalism. They got to go work or make a life somewhere else. And that's just not fair.
0: It's not.
1: And at the same time, you know, the people who moved here, you know, there's differences in them too, to be real. But... I'm just gonna say it, they don't love this city. They don't love Oakland, they don't love Berkeley, they don't love El Cerrito, they don't love Richmond. They don't love none of us, right? Because they're just as willing to pick up and leave and go somewhere else. What happens in the disarray when the people who built this place are no longer there? Mm. You know, that's a question that we have to answer. And it is, it is a part of grieving, yeah. you know. And it's also, I think, something I've shared before with, with other folks who have this experience, right, is like you're almost living in a different reality, like a liminal space, you know, walking through East Palo Alto EPA, and you're like, is that a Facebook dental office?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that was a community store, like a hub, like not, you know, a year ago. Like, it's just picked up and gone. It's a completely different reality. And so, and it's traumatic. And again, the gentrification is a layer of colonialism. Yeah. So we got all these other layers of colonialism. We could talk about Segurite Land Trust, right? Talk about how important it is for um, where we are here in Hachun, right? The Lishan people to be able to have a right, you know, to stay and to have not just to stay, but to thrive, in their home territory, you know, we're literally living on top of them, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, following that leadership and the vision of Karina Gould and her family, right? And the Lashon people, wherever we are, the Ramatosh Ohlone people with Greg Castro, right? In San Francisco, you know, being able to not hold on to something so tight because we see the bay as we know it vanishing before our eyes, right? And in that, we become unjust, right? I got to hold on to my peace because if I don't hold on to it, it's going to... But being able to say, okay, we're not gonna survive this alone. Mm. So what does it mean to come together? What does it mean to give space and to fight and to give deference to the people of this land? And also in return, because they are hospitable, welcoming, tried and true bay folks themselves, right? And and have a deep connection to this place. Deeper than any of us will experience in our lifetime, and that is okay. Mm-hmm knowing that in following their lead there's also abundance on the other side for us and for them right for the people who have toiled conditionally for the last layers and layers and layers of colonialism to make this place what it is and there's a lot of suffering here so we're not going to bring an end to suffering through more suffering through isolating and chomping off the bit at each other right we got to do that together yeah and if we don't do that i don't know what awaits for us but i feel like it's that big grit Again, that I'm proud of. It's that independence, that thinking out the box, that being different. Not because we want to be different, because it's who we are. Mm. So let's lean into that creativity and create something, you know, that's that's different from this reality and to do that in a good way, to do Mm. that in a way where we really visibilize each other, where we really get to say the things, where we really get to do and act in a way that, you know, no matter who's talking to us, we can stand behind it, right? We can say, yeah, I did that. When times were hard, I didn't push you to the side, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And if we do it right, you wouldn't do the same for me. Yeah. But living into those principles. That part.
0: The ways that you build really closely with Native folks, with Indigenous folks here in the Bay, but really across Turtle Islands, and... Again, I want to uplift what you shared in your bio, returning land to the people and people to the land. And I'm wondering, really, the end, the end goal of this question is why should everyone else be doing it? And the question I want to ask is like, what dots are you able to connect? Because I believe that on top of being a bumblebee busy with hella projects, you really are a connector. You're a connector of thoughts, you're a connector of ideas, you're a connector of Like you just put the pieces together in a way that makes a lot of sense. And I think that anybody struggling doing any resistance and really healing work anywhere on these territories needs to be working closely with indigenous folks, period, point blank. And you're doing it in a really beautiful way, really intentional way, a really fierce way. You know, I'm not sure where you wanna go with with that question, but like what got you onto that? How did you start or what keeps you there Or, or what is the importance of it? Maybe I'll edit out my 6,000 questions, but why should everybody be doing it? And what is it like? Yeah. Why should everybody be doing it?
1: I mean, one thing is that you are very gracious because there's a lot to learn from you in your work and how you connect and how you build and why you have made the choices that you have made. Thank you. Shukran. Wow, well, it's, it's remarkable, really, and so for me to start from the beginning, because both of my parents are not from here, and because my grandparents talked about going home, I knew very clearly that I was not from here. Mm -hmm. I am not from this land. I have no connection to so-called America before being born in Oakland in 1991. So if that's the case, who is from here? Mm. And where are they? It sounds cheesy, but I think that basic awareness was really essential and just being open to asking that question. And I think being in Berkeley public schools and being a student, uh, like a youth who really benefited from like the very last of the Panther education system Mm. that they built in elementary schools and middle schools here before it went to SF State a little bit of history for Mm -hmm. y'all I didn't know that y'all heard (laughs) so but really like to have that as as a a grounding in my public school system Mm -hmm. you know kindergarten through third grade and then from there I can say it really like just vanished uh help me understand or think critically about America as a concept I think you know personal is political in so many ways like that's kind of part part and parcel and when I was um, 17 I reached out to Karina Gould and I was like hey there's um, I heard about this thing called you know the shell mound and it's underneath the Emeryville mall you know that they were constructing at the time and I want to come out right and she didn't reply back to me but I went and I you know didn't really know how to be in solidarity I didn't really know what to do but when I went to UC Santa Cruz it was also Ohlone territory you know um, we started to build more proactively with some of the Ohlone siblings down there like literally the families mm. you know and Santa Cruz is important for Ohlone history and and and, and current events too because it was a city of a obtuse violence against Native people and I would encourage folks to to look that up you yeah know? I'm gonna look that up I don't know about Santa Cruz so homework yeah so I think I think with that you know it just kind of Natural that when um, Standing Rock popped off, I was like, okay, so where there's a front line, we need to be there. And if it means showing up and dropping something off, that's okay. If it means showing up and being silent and following the lead of people there on the ground, that's as expected. It, you know, whatever is necessary, we'll show up. So let's just show up and see what's going on. Mm. As a, I was a member of the Palestinian youth movement, I had really just joined in twenty. 13 2014 and so that was like 2016 in the summer I rolled up and I just started talking and asking questions and and offering assistance you know whatever was necessary through the commitments of myself and Megan Awad um, an incredible Palestinian organizer mm. um, who taught me so much you know we went back to the PYM and we said you know we need to make a commitment to show up in the Palestinian youth movement made a commitment to be on the front lines for seven months yeah the the education you know of of being at Standing rock of mm-hmm. building with different people from different nations being lucky to know and to to be surrounded by urban native people who are not aloni but who are displaced native people from all over turtle island throughout my life are all building blocks and things relationships that i, that I built with people really you know, I just followed them like threads. Hmm. Say what's next, what's next, what's next. And the um, threads, that's what it is. You thread. You know, it's the literal connectors, yeah, yeah. right? I see it. The web of relationships, yeah. the web of the work, just being open to what's next. And I brought up my education earlier because it's it's part of also undoing the colonizer in your head. Hmm. The, col- the colonizer that, that were, you know, colonial information that we're taught. You know, which is just factually, like actually factually not true. Right. You know, and yet it still lives in you, right? You refer to it. Without even, you don't even know half the time. Yeah, every day, every year something comes up, you got to unlearn it. So, you know, I think sometimes shame or guilt are the things that like, stop us or halt us mm. from a variety of things right from speaking our own languages shit right from Girl. being able to connect we talked about that recently right yeah. like real right yeah. like yeah, you yeah. get in your own way right yeah. or here's the shame and guilt that I'm going to live in rather than being like I'm going to own this and here's my proactive step to do better right? And if I didn't do the best today, I'm gonna do the better tomorrow. Because mm. if I don't live into it, who else is going to do it? Right. And that's also part of the work. When I look around and there's something that I think should be happening and it's not happening, well, who else is going to do it? Probably me, right. right? Or if it's not me, because it's not my place, it's not my, you know, You know, oh, it's not what I should be doing. Then who else can I support? Who can I talk to about this? Who might already been thinking about this and they need somebody, or they're looking for somebody, or resources, or whatever it is to make it happen. That's the part. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's the part because that's the difference
0: between you're gonna show up in a good way or you're gonna be a savior something needs to be done it's not your place to do it maybe you saw something somebody else didn't see it in that moment fine what's your role in that moment Mm -hmm. go be a whisper (laughs) go sit with people go have some bring them coffee and let them know not go do the thing yep anyway sorry for no that's the
1: critical piece those are the lessons that you have you know that's exactly it yeah And it's the same thing, right? Like, little rhyming, like, my grandparent's being like, we raised you better. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you know better than to walk up into somebody's own home and start saying what's what? Like, the people who've lived in their lives their whole lives and lived in their bodies and lived in this structure don't know it better than you. Right. You know? It's like, I hate it when people come to Palestine and they go, or they come to us and they go, hey, I've been thinking about it. i read all these books. I think the solution to peace is this. And you're like, that's fucking crazy, man. You just came up with that yourself? That's crazy. I know 20 prisoners right now who are sitting in jail who tried that one out. You think we just sat here for 75 years twiddling our thumbs? Like... Maybe one day we'll do something. Here's the delivery. So, you know, it's like we know better. And I think that's, um, that's been the piece is just the knowledge that Heather Milton Lightning says this and Crystal mm. Tubles often repeats it. Nobody knows the way out of settler colonialism. Mm. Nobody knows the way. Right. So in the spirit of experimenting and doing mm. that, you know, responsibly and knowing that sovereignty and self-determination is the center, Right. What does that mean to try and live into that and to try it? Because if we don't try, then we won't know. It's the remaking of the world as we know it and the healing, you know, of the of the things that have um, been put in our path to 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 chop us down to size, Mm. you know, because when we're whole, look how powerful we are and we're all fragmented, too strong. And look how powerful we are anyways. Yeah. You know, and so I'm I I know, you know, I have messed up, I will continue to mess up and I will always try to be accountable and active, you know, proactive in fessing up or building that or building stronger when I do something, you know, good you know, alhamdulillah, it's like the Jenga pieces and you don't know which part you pull out that's going to make it fall, but if this Jenga tower settler colonialism, I'm coming for your ass. Like, we're ready, (laughs) you know? We're going to keep pulling the different pieces. You know, and one day you'll look back and go, Mm. you might not know at the time, but this was a critical Mm. log. Mm. This piece really helped weaken the structure. You know, and when we do that, when we fight for that, there are whole generations of people who will not have to experience the things that we've experienced. Mm. Inshallah. Inshallah, right? And what a gift that is. And if if that burden is too heavy and it interrupts the ecology of who you are, your internal ecology, you are no longer able to carry it, you know, you built that piece. You put it in the wall. You built up, right? And so you hand that off to the next person. Ain't no shame in that. That's the best thing you can do. Mm. That's love for yourself. That's love for your work. And that's Mm. love for the struggle and love for other people. Mm. You got to be the best version of yourself not in the self-serving way of like so that I can do me I mean that's nice too but you know in 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 the in the persistence of living life is in the is in the service of more life it's what it means to make that commitment to living and to doing it in a good way for yourself too and that's a hard lesson to learn I had to learn that one I have to continue to learn that one too you know I love that you've you said that a couple of times now the commitment Your commitment to
0: living, the purpose that we have, and our commitment to living. And as we get older, we need to show the younger generations how to make mistakes. I got a lot of love for Gen Z, y'all know, because I work with y'all a lot. And I think that in a lot of ways, we're not modeling for them how to make mistakes. And we're all making mistakes. We're all gonna make mistakes. So I appreciate you bringing the humility of it. I appreciate you bringing the realness. Like, just you have to be yourself. You have to find your place and you act out of pocket, or you step out of line, like, let somebody tell you, you know, let somebody tell you, let somebody humble you, and and know that that's not the end, you are also not just your mistakes, Um, I have to remind myself of that all the time, and I think, you know, I want to give a shout out to the women I want to give a shout out to the aunties to the grandmas to the queer folks to the trans folks to the non-binary and gender expansive folks who have been holding down community and social justice movements since the beginning of time you mentioned it earlier when you know speaking of the beauty and you got tears in your eyes and I got tears in my eyes and we called in our we called in all the women in our lineage and when you look at organizing spaces you look at resistance spaces no matter what it is the women even if that story is not told I've been going down the rabbit hole recently of the role of Algerian women during the war for independence. I'm like, ooh, y'all would not be... And then they messed it up. The men, you know, they messed it up. They came into power and 10 years later, it was a hot mess, but...
1: It cannot be stated, the power <laughs> of the Algerian women. It cannot be... I gained, I gather so much power from that story and I don't even know... And that's... I'm sorry. And the Algerian struggle and the, the, the discipline of the women in the struggle. Mm. And I don't even know the half of it because without the Algerian revolutionary movement, the Palestinians would not know how to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, the Algerians were the ones, you all were the ones who took us in and treated us like your siblings, your younger siblings and said, this is how we're gonna, we're gonna teach you how to do the anti-colonial struggle. We're gonna teach you how to fight on the front line. We're gonna teach you how to undermine your oppressor in their backyard, under their face, under their nose. Without that, our trajectory would have been completely different. Yeah. It's the algerians literally fed us and helped us to survive and and give us an imbue in us the understanding of who we are mm. and the algerian woman who said listen here this is how you fight mm. and this is how you win there's so much love between us algerians and palestinians there's so much love we got our flag up we got
0: y'all's flag up too here up twice in this interview already read you all right y'all we doing great <laughs> spirit is here yeah, the ancestors are here we see y'all feel y'all but no i want to say and the global perspective that i think you are so tapped into um i know you've traveled i know you've lived abroad i know you've studied abroad and you are also i feel you know i'm getting to know these parts of you you love geeking out on things that I love geeking out on, you're like documentaries, mind maps. Let's put everything on paper and ta 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 ta. That connection across borders, that international lens, and the ways that you know those of us, those of us who may not identify with like, like you're saying, like. You're like hyphen American, like I'm Palestinian, I'm Palestinian. and I, The global south is here. When you're talking about who created the culture in the Bay, it's the global south and, and it's the native folks, right? It's it's the black folk. I think in the U.S. we are taught and conditioned to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. And so many of us don't know what's going on in the world. I really appreciate that you're somebody who's like, well, I know what's going on over there. And, and not in like uh, trying to show off, like I'm not trying to name it in that way, but just like, I learn from you all the time because you're like this and then this and then this. I'm like, oh, let me go home and listen to some more podcasts and do my research and read international news the way that I was raised, not the way, you know, and not the way that America tried to raise me. It's so important for the global south, too, that the black and brown unity that you're speaking of and the, the understanding of internationalism and, and solidarity across borders is the only way we win, really, because it's a global system and a global structure, amen to that. And I don't even know what the question is right now, but what, 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 what do you want the people to know about living outside of the mental isolation of, you know, U.S. centrism and yeah.
1: Yeah. The colonizer in our heads, right? Like American exceptionalism is really ugly form of arrogance. And it's something that You know where we are called and we must work through in order to be part of this global community i think we are disconnected we are isolated we do think that you know american what happens here is the most important thing and in that you know we're also raised that way not just to you know raised up that way the american way with three k's right in order to actually also disempower us because if we have you know you single issue lives or you know a flat you know flat understanding of of who we are and what we're facing that that's better for our oppressors because we lose our access to critical thought we lose the access to understand other people to to reflect you know and to learn about who we are through working with other people through connecting with them through building with them as equals as teachers maybe right i guess all that is to say that Living abroad helped me for sure understand and try to undo the exceptionalism that we are all raised with and to be active as, a, as, a, as an internationalist in connecting other struggles into building, right? I learned about West Papua and the struggle in West Papua through the student movement in Britain. In that, there was some of my first education on the role of mining corporations mm. in West Papua and how you know these mining corporations are just conglomerates meaning that they're many different names in different places
0: right like rio tinto,
1: like rio tinto mm-hmm. right you know here we might go oh well they're just mining for a nickel right in the tamarack mine up in anishinaabe territory in northern minnesota right rio tinto all over the world literally interrupts elections y'all like talk about war crimes they kill people mm. to extract things from the earth. Land defenders are killed on a monthly basis around the world. Mm-hmm. And so if we were to connect that and to be real about the fact that in many cases our enemies are either the same or they are intricately t- related or they're business partners and we're aware of corporations in the way that we're aware of states and the way that they work together, right? How does capitalism really work? It's a concept, it's a word, but how does that impact us in our daily lives? How does that impact the scope that we're living in? Just to go on this tip, when we talk about the transition from oil and gas and cars that run on gasoline to EV vehicles, electric vehicles, Mm -hmm. and we talk about this new environmental revolution, this green revolution, Mm -hmm. what this is is green colonialism. Why is that? In the United States of America, people who do not have means, as in the poor and working class who are the majority, can't even get like updated furnaces in your house. Mm-hmm. You think this government is going to give you an EV car? Right. So what's going to happen when the infrastructure around us is built for EV vehicles, right? For Sorry, for electronic vehicles. So the infrastructure is built that way. Right. Route five, let's bring it to the backyard, right? Literally going down and you have these little things on either side that put your vehicles in like one singular flow and you're still driving a gas guzzler, okay? Runs on gasoline, how could you? You hate the planet, right? Mm. You think that you're gonna be included in the infrastructure? Absolutely not. Nothing in your lived experience, nothing in your family's lived experience would ever prove differently.
0: Right, look at the facts.
1: Look at the facts, right? And it will be further used to curtail our movement right? To curtail our ability to connect with each other, to be able to move with freedom from place to place, to be able to work and live in different states. I mean, you name it. And on top of that, what if I told you that the Line 3 pipeline is five miles from the Tamarack mine? Five miles. So it's polluting the same water. What if I told you in Eagle Rock, Michigan, which is the Ford owned mine where Rio Tinto is operating, Mm -hmm. right? The one up in Tamarack is Tesla. It's literally on top of an oil drill site. What about that is green? What about that is environmental? What about that is pro-native, pro-black, pro-rural people? What about that is pro-poor and working-class people in the city? None of it. It sounds good. The government, this Democratic Party, right? The Republicans, right? They're all investing in it as new alternatives. All this is is introducing new sacrifice zones more people who remember moving to the side of the balance sheet the sacrifice that you never agreed to be Mm. it's just moving a larger group of us there and it's all under the the premise of feel-good environmentalism and so again shout out to the struggle in west papua because they've been fighting extraction they've been fighting corporations backed by nation states for decades You know, And they do it all the time with a media blackout and very little attention Mm -hmm. because they're indigenous and they're black and they're on land that's far more valuable if it's ripped apart than if they can live there, you know, or the Chamorro Islanders, you know? And so I think that's the power of being able to build with each other, right? Is being able to also uncover the ways in which money makes the world flat, like Thomas Friedman, that terrible Zionist that New York Times says, but it does, it presents you access in a way that if we stay in our own bubble, because we either are, you know, under the necessity of trying to survive or, you know, we've been miseducated to not connect and not not build with others, to not look beyond our zones, right? We end up so-called the course of meal. We're the ones who are on the platter and it doesn't have to kill us direct, it can kill us slow. Mm. And this is what we have to learn. So, you know, the Bay also just shout out, there are many people here who cannot travel, who do not travel, who are unable to travel. It is not my experience, but I work and I love and I know many people There are people in my family who are internationalists politically. They're internationalists in principle. And they are able to be the freedom fighters and and the informed folks that they need to be. They're able to check themselves at home. There is nothing like being able to be outside of your context Mm. in order to hold up a mirror to who you are Mm. and the shortcomings that you have and the potential, the possibilities that are available to you. But there are plenty of people who you know through the utmost circumstances are able to do that at home and so shout out to them too yeah yeah for real shout out to
0: them because it's a huge privilege to be able to
1: move and to see
0: to discover yourself in those ways and I recognize that I recognize that and resonate with that deeply because I have that privilege and that blessing and I'm like dang I'm so much of who I am because I've gotten to travel and meet people and if Absolutely. I didn't have those opportunities, would I have found myself in this way? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Bumblebee, busy bumblebee. This is just our inside joke though, y'all that I'm bringing <laughs> to the, I'm bringing to the the podcast today, but you just you got a lot of projects going on. and again, the Arab amp folk tales, an amazing artistic collaboration that uplifts voices from the Swana. And this co-incubation, this new project called Rising for Our Motherlands, you just—it feels like you're—you're you're uncovering, you're exploring stories, storytelling, and the power of, of of lifting up stories in so many ways. And tell us, tell us about, tell us about any of these, and tell us about why you do this. And yeah,
1: I have a lot of fun. I always say I am not an artist because I literally cannot draw to save my life yet I love words and I love um, storytelling and I love different creative mediums been trying to go easy on myself and <laughs> say I am an artist and I can be an artist and that part this is the why if it's not art for art's sake then what is it for mm. and so Arab Amp maybe I'll start there is exciting for me because it's out of the Temascal Art Center which is in Temascal across from where the old post office depot used to be it's 26 years Mm. established by Lea Tawil, who was part of a collective and she became kind of the sole member of that collective and she's held it open as an accessible space for community and for different you know scrappy artistic projects and it's a beautiful thing because that's kind of emblematic of the North Oakland that I know and grew up in and so when she approached me two years ago now to say hey you know we want to uplift community you know, services and organizations doing dope grassroots work who are serving the people, you know, we want to be able to let people know where to go. Would you, you know, would you participate in in spearheading that and we'll pair it with Southwest Asian, North African, or SWANA. Artists who are either born and raised here or who are recently refugee or asylum seekers here. I was like yeah absolutely <laughs> Yalla. <laughs> Yalla. <laughs> so it made me excited to be able to mesh you know some of those pieces and and um we're on season two and it's been really rewarding mm. um and we expanded you know the bay and also la to the places that we have connections and so trying to grow it and make it the best that it can be we have some really cool stuff coming up this next episode is actually with someone named Joseph uh, Bohejian, and he is Armenian, lives in Fresno, and does some really important work on the preservation and, and, and telling of stories and mm-hmm. language in the Armenian community. And we also have Sophia Armin, who is an incredible Armenian organizer out of L.A., who spoke a lot actually about like feminist futures and the development of the Swana movement 10 years ago. And talking about why oh, that nice. was such an important like yeah. political moment and kind of where it brings us to now especially in the stark moment where we see like swana being robbed and institutionalized mm. you know so what does it mean to really shout out to the roots of and again say it's not over till it's over what's actually possible through that so i was exciting i learned a lot you know through doing this work and i appreciate that i like to geek out i like to learn i like to know and to, to know that I don't know and, you know, what am I, what am I learning today? So working with other people is really rewarding. I think Rising for Our Motherlands, that was a project that we tried to start, ooh, I think like 2019 we tried and it flopped, you know, it just didn't get off the ground. We were trying to do it in a moment where RIMPAC, the naval bombing exercises from the U.S. military when they bomb the islands of Hawaii every year, R-I-M-P-A-C, we wanted to really create the Rising for Our Motherlands around, you know, the, the women on the front lines of neocolonialism mm. and military aggression, and we wanted to highlight that the U.S. bombs Hawaii every single year, the Hawaiian kingdom, every year, through these exercises, and those exercises are used when Gaza is bombed from the sea, right? There's a million places in which those things and those knowledges of occupation and colonialism and war are, are replicated and used again, But, you know, to uplift that in this case, Hawaii or the Philippines, they're independent, sovereign nations who are actively being colonized for the sake of profit. Mm -hmm. And so... We want to connect that also to Palestine and in this version of it, which will be launching inshallah at the end of this year, inshallah, inshallah we're really trying to talk about where we're sticking with myself and Nikki and Kat Petru. There's three of us who are really bringing this together and we're talking a lot about what it means to have a connection. So the purpose is to really talk to and speak to the different layers of colonialism, talk to how that manifests in the Filipino and Palestinian um, communities, why that, you know, really... Give a primer of our struggles, not as the same and sometimes, you know, not even connected though they are in their own own rights and purpose. And trying to do the rights and that of, of of talking through the different pieces of of perhaps what are the most important, mm. you know, of developing who we are, naming, you know, why we're here, and also naming what it means to be organizing in the Bay Area in the so-called United States for our people and against um, imperialism. So we'll see how it goes. We're going to have different community guests and we're very excited to do that, you Mm -hmm. know, and to to be in conversation with each other. Donkey Saddle, you know, lastly, but definitely not least, is really a project that was brought into in uh, 2017. There have been different uh, iterations, projects that they've taken up. Um, One of them is really doing different artistic projects and documentation around the murder of Troy Davis on death row, Mm -hmm. working with the Davis family, and then also covering, you know, just what's happening in in Palestine and and speaking to um, Lande, the story of a family and and the death of, and his murder, his lynching in the groves during a a protest around Lande and his village of Arabe. And so when they invited me to be a creative partner, I was really excited to take that up. This was on the backs of a vignette collective, the Penasco Vignette Collective um, that actually just closed. And we had written, you know, as a collective of black indigenous, Palestinian, and Chicano organizers and artists who wrote different vignettes on their story of colonization and decolonization. Mm. That project ran and really ran through the pandemic as well. It started in 2018 and we launched in 2019 and we just had all of this planned in 2020 and unfortunately kind of got clipped at the knees with pandemic. But we were able to continue, and so it was kind of an answer to what happens after that. And so here's, here you are as an opportunity to be a creative partner. And I was an editor for the Vignette Collective, and, nice. I, and being able to have the privilege of, of kind of stewarding other people through telling their stories, trying to do that in a way that was you know reflective of the work and of themselves, and and trying to honor you know what they're trying to deliver, put that in a story or a vignette or a play form. Mm. And so that's that's been the work with them it's very much future facing we're gonna have to see what comes of that i love it sending all the blessings for that beautiful projects Thank and i you. love that you're like oh we tried in
0: 2019 it didn't work but we're back in 2023 because <laughs> yeah. you know sometimes timing it's everything it wasn't time yet for whatever reason and now it is so mm-hmm. good on y'all for not giving up on your vision <laughs> <laughs> share around the way that you put pen to paper and the way that you see your purpose play out in in your writing
1: it's a hard one to answer thank you for asking the question it's something that I haven't articulated as much because I'm a pretty private writer Mm. so I kind of well I'll write you know articles or reports about things that are happening on the ground interviews when I feel that it's a necessary piece of the work right what's needed here okay if there's an ask for a story to be written or an ask for a publication or something like that then i can do that because it's a skill that i have in my wheelhouse and i enjoy it for the proactive you know piece of writing i've written a lot in 2023 and it's another venue where i'm able to really pick up a question or pick up an ask or pick up a need um, and try to answer that try to add to a body of knowledge try to add to a wealth of perspectives already you know, and and add a voice that I hope, you know, the takeaways will mean something to somebody or will have a positive impact on the issues that I'm talking about. The purpose is really expression and trying to create or, you know, invest in in a platform to be able to to speak some of the truths out Mm. so that they can be read, so that there's documentation. And also so that in the future, when people try to revise history, when the powers that be try to retell the story, It's like, nah, nah, not only did we experience this and live this, it's literally written, Mm. not just by me, inshallah, by many other Mm. people. Mm. And um, with the connector point, trying to bring in some of the connections that I feel are most relevant that really give meaning for me in this Um, and hoping that that helps clarify and mean something for someone else and they're able to build on it. I never write thinking that I'm the final. I'm not the final say on anything, Mm. right? What is this person? And that's also working with youth, you know, just shout out to them because, you know, if I'm doing my job right, trying to teach and and be present and be active in building up other young people who are younger than me, if I'm doing my job right, they're going to lead me. They're going to teach me things. I never want to be an elder who is unable to learn, right, Mm -hmm. and to build past Mm -hmm. that and I hope that my writing can do the same thing you know I might look back 10 years and go man I really got that piece wrong but um you know I hope that it's part of the cumulative learning that we can do together and if if we build it right then we'll be able to 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 be smarter to be wiser to be more responsible and accountable and more effective than we had been in the in the past iteration of ourselves Mm -hmm. inshallah inshallah
0: and I love that you said earlier perspective. Having perspective and the importance of having perspective and writing gives you that. Writing gives you that as you're writing, literally, you know, as you're like putting words. It's, Heck yeah. Which is I mean, I journal a lot and I'm like, ooh, there's the truth right there. I wasn't trying to see. Okay. And then being able to read yourself years later and months later and and, you know, especially in this society that thinks the written word is the most important word. Well we got it written right here. Mm-hmm. So as we close out, you know, this because this season is, I laugh because I'm like, this season, this season might be like two years long, we'll see. But this <laughs> season is is an homage to those of y'all born and raised here, right? And I ask this of every guest, so you can really take it wherever you want. And you've said a lot already, but just one final what does it mean for people to come correct for people to come correct as they move through the bay as they move to the bay for whatever long they decide and we decide to stay and also don't outstay your welcome <laughs> if you're supposed to go just go <laughs> yeah but
1: what how did do, what does it mean for people to come correct the primary i think is humility make that the house you live in live in a way where you have mirrors that are reflecting back at yourself Um, on the choices that you've made, on the opinions that you have, on the assumptions that you bring, and on the way that you treat other people. It's hard to say in this context, you know, do no harm, Mm. right? Because um, the way that the system works, if, you know, gentrification, sometimes you're already a cog in the wheel. So what are you going to do about it? Having an approach that connects to people that steps outside of your comfort zone, that literally connects and works on behalf of others and yourself, that's the, best, that's the best you can do. Do your best. In order to be part of this community, you also have to be a good guest, mm. right? I am a guest on these lands as somebody who is not a Ohlone, period. Mm-hmm. But in the case of being somebody who is from the Bay, we also have a hosting culture. So be, you know, come correct in that. You know don't step up into other people's houses and act like you own the place Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of layers of colonialism here and there's a lot of layers of beauty there's a lot of potential there's a lot of history you know look around ask the right way put in your time and and be patient be Mm -hmm. humble Mm -hmm. you know live in that humility and and people might show it to you all the layers of the bay area can be a dark thing can be a beautiful thing you know it it is what it is and i'm always happy to see folks who have been able to come here and who have come correct and as a facet of that have been able to really access so many of the important lessons that we have here and mm-hmm. that we can share with each other. So shout out to you.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Um shout out to um, the folks who who are able to do that and you know, the other piece is yeah, don't tear each other down because the only thing that comes from ugliness is ugliness. Again, like I think I said earlier, If we're going to make it through this and if we're going to be able to actually thrive, we have to do that together. Mm. So you got to figure out who you are in that piece and you got to figure out what you bring. And if you don't know who you are and what you bring, there's another day to figure that out and the day after that. And if you don't know, ask somebody and that's humility. Mm. I love that. I literally wrote that down. (laughs) Humility, make that the house
0: you live in and make sure that you have mirrors around you to reflect the truth
1: back to you because we begin lost y'all all of us thank you so much thank you thank you for this opportunity and this platform and for all the dope shit that you do mm. i was really juiced to have this conversation Me and too. i hope that for folks listening it was enjoyable i hope you learned something i hope you have something to teach us i've been tuning into every single session so you know Shukran, we'll continue shout out to you
0: Thank you, thank you. And I already know people are going to learn a lot from this. Everybody, like, you might have to pause, rewind, take some notes because you gave us some homework. Y'all, we are at Studio X, started by women of color, Bay Area women of color, for all your recording, mixing, mastering, production, songwriting, podcast recording needs. I'm really excited that I've been able to record all the episodes for this season here. So shout out to shout out to the folks keeping it running and taking good care of us we appreciate you as has been said multiple times but we can never say enough we are currently on unseated underline unseated Lishan Ohlone territories this is a village of Huchun If you don't know what that means, do your research. It will be written in the promo. Also want to give a shout out to the folks who have produced these beautiful beats. People have been giving a lot of shout out to these beats that were conjured and produced by local artists and musicians, producers, Monk HTS and Everclear. Please give them a follow. Show them some love for the amazing work that they're doing. And just, you know... Beautiful, beautiful time that we just spent here. So, really, shukran for being here, for listening, and for witnessing. Ma salama. Peace, y'all.